Thanks, Andy. That's a that's a great song, and the, the lyrics and some of those some of the some of the words really go hand in hand with what I'm talking about. We're talking about Jeremiah. The only thing worse than being in a dry town, at least <clears throat> figuratively speaking, would be to be the, the the local pastor, the local prophet in that dry town. In in the case of in, in a historical sense, that's what Jeremiah was was called in the Old Testament sense of the word to do. Um, for, for basically what we now know as, as Israel and for Jerusalem. And it was pretty dry. It was very dry, actually. And um, so I want to, you know, Jeremiah is not a popular prophet. I, I, you know, I got some, and I'll share them with you. I got some theories as to why. But he's not popular. In fact, this morning as I came in, now, my children's staff, not all, but most of them, uh, come from either um, PBU, Philadelphia Biblical University, or Nyack College. Uh, Christian Missionary Alliance College up in uh, Nyack, New York, uh, both Christian schools. So, and you know, they usually in a Christian school, you have to take Bible survey or some some kind of th- such thing. And uh, so, this morning, as I came in, I asked two guys who are on our on our children's staff, who both happen to go to Nyack. I'm not picking on Nyack; it's a good school, but uh, both happen to go. I said, "Okay, tell me, tell me everything you know about Jeremiah. What's the first thing you think of when you when you, when you think of Jeremiah?" And I got this blank stare back, and I said, "Well." <laughs> Can you, and can you give me anything? And they're like, uh. So I'll bet you can do better than that. Finish this sentence. Jeremiah was a? There you go. See, they couldn't even do that. They couldn't even do that. Uh, remember that song? Yeah, yeah. Uh, when did you do that song here sometimes, Steve, guys? Um, Anyway, uh, Jeremiah lived in a very dry town known as Jerusalem that was basically undergoing destruction circa 580 B.C. And, um, and I'll tell you, the, the, one of the reasons that I believe that it's not a very popular book, not a very popular prophet, talk about dark, he had a dark life. And the, the, the book of Jeremiah... The whole book of Jeremiah, which is a large part of Scripture, and by the way, today, as much as any time, make sure you check out uh, Action Steps on our website. If you don't know what that is, just go to our website and go to Action Steps, something I write every, uh, every week uh, to go in. Sort of as, it's it's kind of like when you have a DVD and they have bonus material, it's kind of what Action Steps is, okay? And, uh, and so make sure you check it out today because I have some other things about Jeremiah in there that I think will be of interest to you, uh, whether or not you're into Old Testament history or not. But, but one of the reasons I believe that he was not a very popular prophet and he's not, a very, you know, not one of those that we have, you know, maybe you had a Sunday school class on at one time or something. Uh, but one of, the, one of the reasons is because it's a very dark, dark time, a very dark guy, um, and there's no happy ending. There's not, there's, not much, there's not much of a redemptive silver lining type of thing going on here. And we're talking, we're talking the Babylonians coming in and wiping out what we now know as Israel. We're talking about some of the things that they did. And, and, and here's, here's, here's Jeremiah crying all the time. By the way, one of the things, here's what I was looking for from, my, from some of our budding uh, college, uh, our college students, budding Bible scholars. I just wanted to hear one term. Any, almost any commentary you pick up will call Jeremiah the weeping prophet. Because he was weeping. He was weeping over Jerusalem and the destruction by the Babylonians. He was uh, weeping over the, the destruction of, of culture as he knew it. He was, he, was, he was weeping over the fact that he kept telling people, turn to God, turn to God, because the, the Israel people had turned to all kinds of idol worship. 
They'd taken on some other interesting thing. They'd taken on some Babylonian gods that they'd begin worshiping, and the Babylonians come in and wipe them out. Isn't that interesting? Um, and so, but he was weeping because he was saying, you know, turn, turn back to God. Turn back to God, Jehovah. And they just ignored him. Not only did they ignore him, you talk about rejecting the message, they also rejected the messenger. Because not only did they ignore him, but at one point in time, they throw him in a dry well. I mean, you know, I don't know if you've ever had that feeling or not. You know, I'm really getting tired of hearing Rich. Got any holes around here in Summit we need to fill? You know, I hope not. I hope not. There's a big one right over there, railroad tracks. But um, they just, they got tired of him. And they said, let's put him in a well. Dry well. We're not going to kill him. We're just going to put him in. We're going to look at some of the writings that he wrote while he was in that dry well, we believe. And we're not really going to go to Jeremiah. We're going to go to Lamentations, which is the book that follows Jeremiah. And Lamentations is exactly what it is. It's laments. It's, it's crying and sorrow and his writings and so forth. And, and it's, uh, if you're a Hebrew scholar, and we only have one here this morning that I'm aware of, and uh, we call him Dr. Bible. He's got, you know, some little PhD from Harvard or something. I don't know what it is. But uh, um, no, um, I'm serious. He does. But uh, if you're a Hebrew scholar, you would know that this is Hebrew poetry and, and, and lamentations and that it's written in such a way, and you really have to really be a linguist to see this. Even a, even a survey of Hebrew, wouldn't, you wouldn't pick this up, I don't think. Um, it's sort of written in a cool way. It's kind of, uh, it, it, each, each line starts with, a, with, with the next Hebrew alphabet. So it's the Hebrew alphabet. Each line starts with the Hebrew alphabet in order. And it's really cool. I mean, it's, 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 I mean, it's well-written is, is the point that I'm making there, whether you, we can appreciate that or not. Jerusalem's been totally crushed. Babylon has taken, everybody, has taken everybody captive. They had an interesting thing they did back then. When you'd come in and you wipe out a country, you didn't just wipe out and destroy the country. You would go find some of their, their smartest and brightest leaders, young men, obviously men at that particular time in, in, in life, in culture, in history. And um, you would go find their brightest young men, and you would take them back to your home country, in this case, Babylon. And you would do that for two or three different reasons. One, they would just try to indoctrinate them about, about their own culture, their own education, so, you, so they could quasi-brainwash them. But the other thing it did is if you, anybody wanted to lead a rebellion or something, it takes all the brightest out of there and you, so you can watch them. So uh, that happened with a lot of this. Uh, Jeremiah was given that choice. They would say, you know, he was given, I'm not sure why, a lot of guys didn't get the choice. He got the choice, and apparently because he was a prophet or whatever, he made that choice. He said, I'll stay here. He stayed in Jerusalem. And, uh, and it ended up, we don't know exactly what happened to him, except that he went to Egypt eventually and, and disappeared, died apparently, some, somewhere, um, again, circa 580 or so B.C. So I want to I go to this. Here, here's my challenge. Okay? My challenge is I wanted to show you something redemptive, something silver lining from Jeremiah's life when here he lived in a dark world at a dark time and there's no happy ending. Can we find something there? We can, obviously, or I wouldn't have you know, chosen this topic. Um, we can. We're, so we're going to go to Lamentations chapter 3. He's, this is some of the writings we believe from, from this, this pit that he has been thrown in. Can you relate to being rejected? Can you relate to being rejected not just because of 
who you are, but because of what you are and, and the whole package, you're rejected because of how you look or maybe because of what you believe or maybe because of, of how you dress or maybe because of, of your skin color or maybe because of where you came from or maybe because of who your parents were. I mean, he was rejected in just about every way you can be rejected. So what's he going to say? What's he going to say to God at a time like that? That's, that's what I want to really explore. And, and, and I'm calling these lessons from the pit. Because it was literally a pit, and in your case and in my case, it may not literally be a pit, but it can feel like it sometimes. So let's look at some lessons from the pit. And I want to begin with this quote that I used last week, and I'm going to use it again. It's sort of the, one of the, sort of the quote that sets our particular series in action here uh, from uh, some John Chrysostom, early, early first century uh, preacher, and, and, and this great quote, a comprehensible God is no God at all. A comprehensible God is no God at all. Anytime somebody comes up to you and they tell you, I understand God, run, okay? Just run. Because that either says something about them or the God that they have concocted in their, in their brain. And one of the things I'm trying to do in this series that we talk about is we talk about, you know, God out of the box is, is we, we try to tuck God away neatly in a box and say, this is what it means to be a follower of God, a follower of Christ, a lover of God. This is what it means. This is the way we're supposed to react. This is, how supposed, this is what God's going to do. And then if God doesn't do what we think he's supposed to do, we're like, hey, God, what's the deal? You didn't act the way I thought you should. And God's sitting there thinking, yeah, okay. I'm really bothered by that. Yeah. A comprehensible God is no God at all. So here we go. Truths, truths, lessons from the... Truths that you can bank on. You know, one of the... Just rhetorical question. What or who can you trust or what or who can you have hope in when all else seems hopeless? Jeremiah's answer was God. And believe me, it was hopeless for him. I'm going to show you four things, very simple things. I'm calling them lessons from the pit. The first thing, we're going from Lamentations chapter 3. This is from the Message Paraphrase Bible, just so you'll know what we're looking at. And uh, here's the first thing I want you to see, and that is this. God's love is endless. God's love is endless. Look what he says in chapter 3, verse 22 of Lamentations. God's loyal love couldn't have run out. His merciful love created new every morning. How great is your faithfulness? He's writing this from the pit. Literally, the bottom of a dry well. He says, God, your love is great. Now, did he feel God's love? I don't think so. Did he sense the presence of God? You hear that sometimes from people. I don't know if you've ever had that or not. Somebody says, oh, we were there and we could just sense the presence of God. Isn't that terrific? You know, it is terrific. Have I ever had that? I think I've maybe experienced that two or three times in my life. You know, one of those, you know, mountaintop type experiences. A friend of mine once told me, not much grows on top of the mountain. Most of the growth is done in the valley. And there's truth to that. And in many ways, most of our lives are lived in, in the valley to some degree, one degree or another. I mean, life isn't one mountaintop experience after another. If you've ever had some of those, they're terrific. And if you've ever been in a church or a retreat or, or maybe some kind of thing where things just were great, you know. It's kind of like marriage. Sometimes things just, oh, gosh, I love this woman. Oh, she's, she's wonderful. She's great. Oh, gosh. Now, do, do I need to finish that paragraph? <laughs> 
I mean, really, and I love my wife as, as much as you can love a human being, but there are still times when you're like, gee whiz, we've been married, I don't know, a whole bunch of years, and, and <laughs> 30, 34, uh, and, 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 and still you're like, you know, and you have some of those times where it's just great, but you still have those, and of course, she doesn't have any of those with me, we know that, so, right? Right. It's like I say, 34. Wonderful happy years for me, maybe 20 for her. But um, it's that way in our relationship with God. God's love is endless. And, 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 and the thing is, if we can understand that and that truth when we're in the pit, it's going to make a difference as to how we live. Do I always feel that? No, I don't. Do I always sense that? No, I don't but it's nonetheless true. Second thing I want you to see, God is always there. God is always there. Look in the next verse, or two verses down, at Lamentations 3.24, I'm sticking with God. I'll say it over and over. He's all I got. He's got nowhere else to go but to God. And he really doesn't. He has nowhere else to go. He's like, God, I don't feel too holy right now. I don't feel too good. I'm not real happy where you put me but I'm sticking with you because I know you're real. I know you say, well, but do we know he's real? I'm going to try to do this quote. One of the things that happens, if you get our This Week at Renaissance, which is our email every week, let me just tell you, that, that, that This Week, that's worth it just to get the quotes that I work so hard to give you, okay? That's worth it alone right there, okay? Aside from all the good information that you have. Is that self-serving? Yeah. Anyway, anyway does, that, does that sound like a little boastful to you, Heather? Okay, a little bit? Okay, anyway, it's great stuff. So, so um, one of the quotes that I had a couple weeks ago, if you get that this week, you, you've seen this, it was by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Um, I'm sorry, it was, the quote was uh, from, um, um, who was the quote from? Who was the quote from, do you remember? Um, oh, I know, okay, it was, it was uh, Beekner, Beekner, Frederick Beekner. This guy is really, if you ever see a book by Beekner, pick it up and read it, it's going to take, take you a long time. He's deep. He's heavy. It, it's, it's, you're going to read it. Two, I mean, you may not. I have to read it two or three times because he's so deep and he's so heavy. But he, he made this quote, and he said this, and it's really good. He said, for a human to prove the existence of God is like Sherlock Holmes having to prove the existence of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, the writer of, of Sherlock Holmes. And I love that quote. And that's pretty close to it. If you want it, I'll be happy to email it to you. Just send me a note. But um, God is there. He understands that. Does he feel it? No, he doesn't feel it. Not feeling too good about it. But God is still there. He's in the pit. One of the things that's important for me and for you to think through and to dwell on is this whole deal is, look, just because I don't feel like it right now, because there's a lot of life like that, God is still there. He's always there. And sometimes he's all we got left. Third thing I want you to see. And this drives me freaking nuts right here. I mean, it really does. God has his own timetable. That's not a popular thing to say to a type A culture, is it? Yeah, type A people. I'm, watch this. Chapter 3, again, Lamentations, verse 25. God proves to be good to the man who passionately waits. That's almost an oxymoron. Passionately waiting. Huh? A little active, a little passive there. 
God proves to be good to the man who passionately waits, to the woman who diligently seeks. It's a good thing to quietly hope, quietly hope for help from God. It's a good thing when you're young to stick, out, stick it out through the hard times. When life is heavy and hard to take, go off by yourself. Enter the silence, bow in prayer. Don't ask questions. Wait for hope to appear. Don't run from trouble. Take it full face. The worst is never the worst. God has his own timetable. And it's not yours. And it's not mine. And that's when we just say, okay, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm not happy about it. It's not a fun place to be, but that's what I have to do. Because I have no place else to go, <laughs> you know? And God's always there, and His love is endless. And He always deals with me out of love. Early in the 930 service, we uh, prayed. I prayed. Uh, specific, we had one of, our, one of our folks who comes pretty regularly. Um, is a, um, her husband is on his way to Iraq this morning. And he's in intelligence, and that basically means she will not hear from him for several weeks because of, uh, they'll be, they don't know where he's going to be in Iraq because of the intelligence thing. And uh, she came to the thing we had last night in the party and, that we had connection with the show. And we were just talking about it, and we are talking about this morning again, the sleepless nights that she has and so forth. And we just prayed. I prayed this morning just for her and for Chuck. Or, remember Chuck, if you think about that. He's many guys you can pray for, and I hope you pray for all the troops. But uh, whatever you think about the war, this isn't a place to talk about whether you're for or against the war, but we can all pray for the people. And, um, um, and, but we, we, we talked about this whole thing about, you know, what she's facing as a wife, let alone him, you know, and, uh, and that whole thing, you know, not knowing where your, where your loved one is and what's going on or the kind of danger he may be in and, and so forth and so on. And uh, just, you know, when life is heavy go, and hard to take, go off by yourself, enter the silence, bow in prayer. Don't ask questions. Wait for hope to appear. Don't run from trouble. Take it full force. God is always there, and he's on his own timetable. And we don't always understand that. It's going to be different next week with Joseph, but with Jeremiah, you know, God's on his own timetable, and we don't, we don't, we don't know, we don't see where it's going. And we're left that way, basically. We're left that way. There's some things that I that I that I'm that I've written for you in, in this week that will that in this or I'm sorry in the action steps on the, when I told you to go to that on the website that, that that talk a little bit about that but for the most part we don't know what happens and and the point is this we don't always have to know there's going to be you know trust God and everything is going to be great well sometimes it's not I mean let's be honest about this sometimes it's not but that still goes back to who 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 are you going to trust in that particular situation. You know, and, and the reason it doesn't is, well, why is it like that then? Because we live in a broken world full of broken people who do broken things to each other. And God, God didn't do that. We did. And we need to understand that. God's love is endless. God's always there. God has his own timetable. Last thing, God never abandons his people. Let me show you this. He says, don't run from trouble, take it full face, the worst is never the worst. Then he says, why? Because the master won't ever walk out and fail to return. We're having a discussion the other night. We have a men's group. We meet every second and fourth Thursdays. Meet right here um, at 8 o'clock. And we're going through a book. It's not a Bible study, it's a book study. Uh, Blue Like Jazz, which is a great book. I highly recommend it. 
And uh, the first chapter, we, we, we got hung up in the first chapter. You know, what happens? But talking about, because the first chapter talks about how many times we, we form our view of God from our fathers, which can be a very bad thing if you had a crappy father. You know, it can be a very good thing if you had a father that showed you love and grace. And by the way, dads, it was, and we talked about it, it's a good reminder to us as dads that by God's grace, our kids can overcome those mistakes that we all make. But we need to understand that we are building values into our kids' lives sometimes that, 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 is going to have a, a, that will have a huge impression upon them. Now, that's, a, that's a scary thing about being a father. You know, and, and, and some of you have had, you know, terrible fathers. God is able to get, you know, the, the cool thing about that, God is able to get you over that and beyond that, and, and I understand that. But, you know, my view of that is always I, I, I want to give my kids every advantage I possibly can, certainly in their relationship with God. Some of you don't have that choice, and, and for those, just try to get men in their lives who, who, who can emulate those characteristics and those qualities. But, but the point is here that I want you to see is whatever happened to you and whatever else is going on, understand that God is the one person, Father, Heavenly Father, in your life who will never walk out, who will never abandon you. He never will. People will, but God doesn't. God never abandons his people. Okay, so there's four things. God's love is endless. God's always there. God has his own timetable. God never abandons his people. You say, okay, I see that. I see it's in Lamentations. I see that's true, but I don't always feel that. So how do I know I can do that? So, you know, you know, does that mean that, you know, like some people believe, you know, there are some who believe that, you know, if, if you trust God, everything's going to be great? Not always. Some people say, well, if you just have enough faith. I've run into this again recently. I've run into this about every five years I've run into this, um, or ever so many years, where people, you know, people get all confused because they said, I was told that if I had enough faith and if I really prayed that God was going to deliver me from my situation, most cases that I've run into, it's deliver them from some sort of an a sickness or an illness or, or a cure, some kind of cancer or something. And, 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 and many people believe, many people in Christendom believe that if you have enough faith, that God will heal you from whatever it is that's ailing you. And if he doesn't heal you, you don't have enough faith. Well, can I help you with that? That's called BS, okay? I don't, I don't know any other way to say it. I'm sorry. If that offends you, get over it. Um, but I mean, it's, it's just, I mean, that's just garbage because you look at, you look at Jeremiah, you look at the apostle, the apostle Paul who had some kind of a physical infirmity all the way to his, to his death. We can have all the faith in the world. I mean, when you see this sometimes with people that I've seen, it just breaks your heart. Woman dying of cancer. And and, and she said, somebody was just here and told me if I had enough faith, God would heal me. What's wrong with me, Rich? What's wrong with me? Like nothing's wrong with you. You got cancer. It's not fair, but it, but, it, but it happened because we live in a fallen world where there's sickness. And it's not your fault. I mean, it's not like, I mean, we're not talking chain smoker or anything like that. It wasn't even lung cancer. So I said, it's not your fault. You got this. And it's not a matter of having enough faith. You know, that's, the, that's the, what I want you to see here is this. God is all these things. God is endless. His love is endless. He's always there. He has his own timetable. He never abandons his people. So then how do I live? How do I, how do I make that relevant when, when things go wrong? Okay, you ready for this? Here's the, key, here's the key line to the whole thing today, okay? Here's the key phrase. That's why we live by faith. It still comes down to faith. 
I'd like to just make it all rational for you. But it still comes down to faith. It's exactly what the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Let me show it to you. We are always confident, even though we know that as long as we live in these bodies, as long as we're here on earth, we're not at home with the Lord. That is why, watch, that is why we live by believing and not by seeing, not by what I can see or what I can feel. Because sometimes, folks, you know this and I know this, sometimes my feelings are wrong. Sometimes my thoughts are wrong. Sometimes I go places I shouldn't go in my mind. That's why we live by faith. And we have to keep coming back to that truth. What did Chrysostom say? A comprehensible God is no God at all. I want, to, I want to close. I'm going to have Andy come back up and sing a song that just goes so good with this. Before he does, I want you to just look at this last quote from Henri Nouwen, who's a great, uh, he's, he's, he's no longer with us, but a great writer. And uh, I think he kind of puts it all together for us. It would be just another illusion to believe that reaching out to God will free us from pain and suffering. Often, indeed, it will take us where we would rather not go. But we know that without going there, we will not find our life. That says it all, doesn't it? I want you to think about that, and I want you to just pray with me as Andy comes and sings a song that just is so apropos to this. Let's pray together. God, these are, these are invaluable truths. Lord, it's not what we feel. It's not what we can see always. But it's you. It's you, the God that, that will always love us. Your love is endless. You're always there. You're on your own timetable, and you will never abandon us. And we know that. And God, I pray that each one of us would, in our, we're here from different walks of life, a lot of different situations, a lot of different situations going on here, God. Pray for each one of us. You know each one intimately. And help us to keep coming back to you. Do what we can do, but keep coming back to you in this area. And we thank you for Jesus who came and, and lived and showed us how to live, suffered and died, and went to the tomb and rose to give us new life. We thank you for that, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.